Gracious God, our Father in heaven, we ask that by your word you would help us to understand more about your glorious grace and that because of that you would help us to praise you for Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. Well, whether you're here tonight in the building or online, it's uh, great to be able to uh, take some time looking at this passage. And uh, I wanted to start off with just a couple of reasons why it might be good to, to listen and follow, follow along uh, with a passage which for some of us may be very familiar, particularly if you go back to Sunday school days. Um, this passage will help us thinking about a few big questions. If, if you are searching and seeking and wondering what God is like, big questions such as, are we alone in the universe? Or uh, is there a God uh, out there? Where do we look? How do we know? How can we know? How do we get to know him? Is it possible? Then 1 Samuel chapter 3 tells us more about what God is like and how he works in the world to make himself known. So listen in if that's you. If you're already uh, someone who would call yourself a Christian and uh, uh, you feel further on uh, in your Christian faith, then with all that's going on just now in terms of your own personal circumstances and uh, the pandemic and uh, all that that means, it is possible that for some of us, we will be feeling life is very hard at the moment. We may also be feeling personally discouraged. We may uh, not be in that place just now. Great, if that's the case. We may know other Christian brothers and sisters who are struggling. Um, when circumstances are hard, then it can be challenging to be thankful to God. It can be a struggle to praise God. God. And again, this passage here, 1 Samuel 3, will encourage us to be humble and to turn back to God in thanks and praise, regardless of present circumstances. Where are we at the moment in the Bible? We're in the Old Testament, about just over a thousand years before Jesus uh, was born. Uh, and we uh, are at the stage where God's people, the Israelites, have been saved out of Egypt and brought to the promised land, to, to Canaan. But despite God's continual kindness, they have turned away from him. They're not living under his rule. They're not living with him as their king. And, and that point is summed up just before we start 1 Samuel at the end of the book of Judges in a single verse which says this, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. In those days Israel had no king. How were the people living? God's people? Everyone did as he saw fit. Now, last week in chapter 2, we saw that this problem was even an issue at the very heart of the religious establishment in Israel, in the temple. 
the priest and his family were doing as they saw fit. We, we saw how uh, Eli the priest and his sons who would one day succeed him were ignoring God's laws and choosing not to listen to their God. They were doing as they saw fit. And so God sent a man with a message to Eli saying that God would judge Eli's house and one day raise up a faithful priest to help his people. So we're going to find more about that in chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 3 in three sections, uh, 1 to 10, 11 to 18, and then 19 to 21. And in it, we're going to see more of what God is revealing about himself and what he's doing and how he works in the world. The first heading for 1 to 10 is this, simply, the Lord calls Samuel. Call and calling is the word that is repeated through this section as the Lord takes the initiative to call Samuel into his service in a new way. The chapter begins at the temple with Eli, the old man, and Samuel, the young lad, and there's a reminder straight away of the sorry situation because in chapter 3, you'll see there the second half of verse 1, it says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. God was not revealing himself to his people. And that's a reminder of uh, Israel's disobedience at this time. Visions were rare because of the spiritual state of the nation. It starts in a way that sounds very negative. Uh, Eli is nearly blind. Visions are rare. But then more positively, it says that the lamp of God had not gone out. Samuel is there lying next to the ark in the temple. Now, at first, when God calls Samuel, no one seems to know what's going on. It's almost a touch comic. Uh, Eli doesn't really catch on. Samuel doesn't have a clue. He's just going back and forward, back and forward from his bed, getting sent back to his bed. As he hears a voice, thinks it's Eli, and is sent back again, twice. Uh, a third time, the Lord calls. But before that third call, in verse 7, we have a little explanation of why uh, Samuel is uh, running around Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So the voice is heard again, and this time Eli twigs and understands what must be happening. And so he explains to Samuel what he should do if the voice comes again, which in verse 10 it does. The Lord calls again, and this time Samuel doesn't run anywhere. He just says, speak, your servant is listening. Now, why do we have this description of the Lord calling Samuel? I actually want to start by saying why I don't, why it's not, uh, what it's not teaching us it's not telling us how God will make himself known to you and I today. This has happened, and it could happen, but it's not promised in the Bible. 
as a way in which God will reveal himself to people. It's not here as an example for us to expect in our own lives. If we want to know what the Bible says about how God will make himself known, how God actually promises to make himself known, then you're going to have to keep listening to the end of the talk. But what have we learned about God in these verses? It's to teach us about God's character, that when he called Samuel, God did absolutely everything that was needed. And it's a picture of God's grace, that God is doing everything that was needed for his people. So, in it, if we've been following the story along, we know that that Samuel's mother, Hannah, was barren and unable to conceive, but God intervened so that she could have a child. Samuel was then literally brought to the temple, placed in God's service by his mum. That God, at the start of chapter 3, speaks into the silence and chooses to speak and call Samuel. And that Samuel clearly didn't know what was going on. He was literally in the dark until God revealed himself to him. Samuel even had to be helped by Eli to know how to make a response. In these opening verses, we see God doing absolutely everything so that Samuel can be in his service. It's a picture of God's grace. I don't know if that word grace is a familiar word to you. I don't want to assume that you understand completely what it means. It speaks of God's kindness. Famously put in words, amazing grace. Speaking of how God saves. Uh, A favorite way of mine for explaining this grace, uh, this word grace is through a little story about a farmer. A farmer who falls on bad times and has to go and see the bank manager with good news and bad news. So he goes to the bank manager and the bank manager sits him down in the office and uh, he says to the bank manager, I've got good news and bad news. And the bank manager says, well, let's have the bad news first and save the good news for the end. Let's have the bad news. He says, I'm not going to be able to keep up on the repayments for that new tractor. Oh, Okay. Let's have the good news. No, there's more bad news. I'm not going to be able to keep up on the payments for the new corn and seeds that I brought for this, bought for this season. Okay, let's have the good news. He says, no, there's more bad news. We're not going to be able to make the mortgage payments this month. Okay, what is the good news? The good news, I still want to do business with you. Now take that and flip that around, and that is what God says to sinful people like you and I. I still want to do business with sinners. And at this point in the story of God's people, it's utterly remarkable that that is so. They have turned away nationally from God, and yet God here in this story in the life of Samuel is doing everything that is needed to provide what his people need in order to be saved, in order to have a future. This is a picture of God's 
grace seen as he calls Samuel so that his people will have the man in place that will be uh, instrumental in the salvation of his people. It's a picture of God's grace. He is a God who still wants to do business with sinful people. So that's the first thing to see, God calling Samuel. The second thing to see in verses 11 to 18 is, is God, the Lord's message of judgment, the Lord's message of judgment to Eli and to his, his house. The message that Samuel heard that night was a truly terrible message. It's described as a message that will shock everyone who hears it. It's so terrible that young Samuel the lad is afraid to speak of it to Eli. Look uh, with me at, at what we're told of this message. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Now, we might wonder, is this fair, that last verse? Eli seems to be being judged and isn't it his sons who have overstepped the mark? Why is Eli being judged? Is this too harsh? It seems that together, Eli and his sons are actually guilty of the same thing, ignoring the Lord. If we turn back to chapter 2, if you flick back or scroll back, then in chapter 2, we can get... Uh, get the background for this. So, in chapter 2 and verse 17 of his sons, it says this, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. You need to read a bit about chapter 2 to understand what they were doing when people were bringing sacrifices for the Lord. They were helping themselves to those sacrifices treating the Lord's offering and sacrifice with contempt. But it, it seems that, that Eli was guilty in a similar way. So, chapter, chapter 2 and verse 29, the message that came to Eli, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. That message says that Eli was guilty of the same sin as his sons. Why is there something, is, is there something here which is being described, it seems, as, as something that is unforgivable? We touched on this last week, but just a little recap. You see, with his people, the Israelites, God had graciously provided a way for sinful people to come into relationship with him, the holy God, through the provision of a sacrifice. 
And by providing that, it meant that the punishment that an individual deserved um, uh, would be taken, would fall on the sacrifice so that the individual could remain in relationship with God and be forgiven for sin. The price had been paid by the sacrifice. But but if someone was to show contempt or scorn for the sacrifice uh, which God had provided, the means of forgiveness, if they were to treat it in an unworthy manner, then there is literally no other way to be forgiven. Behavior like that, their choice would leave them unforgiven and facing God's punishment. Eli's sons were guilty in this manner, and Eli was guilty. Now, back in chapter 3, it seems that Eli makes a, a commendable response. In some way, he seems to 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 recognize this in chapter 3 and verse 18, where he says, having heard this message of judgment, do you see what he says? He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. And in one sense, that sounds so commendable, but don't you want him to say more? If he's accepting that God is judging him rightly, don't you want him to, to, to ask for mercy? to go further. We don't really know what Eli then does. We're left wondering, did he seek mercy from the Lord? Did he repent? We're not told it. The the narrative moves on. What have we learned about God here in this message? We've learned more of God's character, themes that have come up already in, in chapter 2, and particularly in Hannah's prayer. If you can cope with the flicking back, just flick back and let me highlight a couple of verses. So, at the start of the prayer in chapter 2, we're reminded that the Lord is holy in chapter 2, verse 2. And in, in the next verse, we're reminded that the Lord is a God who knows, and by Him deeds are weighed. And then right at the end of the prayer, in chapter 2 and verse 10, we're reminded that the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The Lord is a judge. And that is why we have this message of judgment. So now... True to the prophecy, God has called Samuel and he's judged Eli. God has called Samuel, not Eli. And what do we see in the remaining verses of chapters 3? Well, we, we see simply this, that the Lord establishes Samuel as a prophet in Israel. In verses 19 to 21, we see the Lord establishing Samuel so that there is now a prophet in Israel. So, verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And see how the Lord used Samuel, verse 20, 
all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So all of Israel recognizes Samuel as God's prophet. The boy has become a leader. Don't know exactly how many years this speaks of, but Samuel is now seen as a national figure. Um, and as we go on in the story, we'll see that he is, he's recognized as a priest, as a prophet, and also as a judge, a leader provided by God who is going to turn his people back to him. How will this work? Well, verse 21 gives us a clue. Verse 21 tells us the Lord continued to appear to Samuel uh, at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So God would make himself known to his people through Samuel. And that is how God makes himself known and continues to make himself known today through another that Samuel points us to, through his son, our second reading in Hebrews, spoke of how God has made himself known fully and finally through Jesus. I want to exercise your fingers one more time if you can flick forward to John chapter 1 and see how Jesus is described by John the disciple. In John chapter 1, at the start of John's account of all that Jesus did, we read in chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is John's way of talking about Jesus and his existence from before the world began. This is John's way of saying that Jesus was with God in the beginning, and that Jesus is God come into the world. Verse 14 makes that very point. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the disciples are eyewitnesses so that we can trust that Jesus is the Son of God. And why can Jesus make God known? Verse 18, because he's the one who has seen God and been with God. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So because from all eternity, Jesus was intimately close to the Father, he alone can make the Father known in this world. What then is this simply saying, David? Put it simply for us. Jesus brings the revelation that we need to know God personally. It's saying that the way to God, to knowing God, is through Jesus. 
if we're seeking, seriously seeking, to know God, then put all your attention on Jesus. That is how God makes himself known in his world today. If you want to know the one true and living God, get to know Jesus. Read about him in the Bible. For those of us who have already taken that step, then I want to finish with a warning and an encouragement. A warning and an encouragement. If we are struggling, discouraged, even coasting just now, two things to see as we close. First of all, a warning is not to be like Eli, particularly for those who are in the church who claim to know the Lord but are living in a way that maybe shows contempt for Jesus. Then there is a grave warning here tonight. Hebrews uh, in the New Testament gives us a similar warning, a warning to shock us. It says this in Hebrews 10 and verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Where we recognize this description, we must not be like Eli. We must urgently repent. That's the warning that we can't dodge. The encouragement, the encouragement in hard times, if we feel hard times or hard to be thankful or hard to praise God, is to see God's grace again. The encouragement from Samuel's story is to see how God graciously provided all that his people needed. God did everything that was needed. God called Samuel. He judged Eli's house. He established his prophet, all so that his people could be saved, so that they might know him. And those who first understood what God had done for them through Samuel would look back and praise him for his grace. So tonight, in a far greater way, God has given his people everything to provide for them the Savior that we need in sending his only son, born as a man, to die on the cross, the sacrifice who would bear away the punishment of God for the sins of his people. Jesus Christ is that atoning sacrifice that sinners like you and I need. We don't deserve it. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed him to provide a savior. And wonderfully, he is the God who still does business with sinners. Where we can see this tonight, what God has done for us so that we might know him, we must praise him for his grace.
Let's pause for a moment, and then I'll lead us in a short prayer. Father God, we ask that you would help us by your word to see and understand that all, all that you are offering in Jesus, your son, he is the sacrifice that we need. You have provided him that your people might be saved. Help us to turn to him with great thankfulness and growing love and to give you praise for him. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.